Philippians chapter 1. The, uh, this is an interesting letter because it's one of several, I believe four letters that Paul wrote from prison. And as we heard last week, uh, the city of Philippi uh, did not have a synagogue. So they went and found some Jewish people down by the river, down by the riverside. And uh, they met Lydia, a seller of purple. And if you know anything about the history of those days, um, it's very expensive. Only kings and royalty had, could afford purple. But obviously, being a seller of purple, Lydia was wealthy. She opened her house, and they started the church in her house just like we did. As Pastor Wayne and Michelle started the church in their house. And it grew and prospered. And by the time Paul writes this letter, they already have uh, uh, deacons and uh, it's an established church and it's growing. And they had heard about Paul being in prison and everything. Uh, so they sent a guy named Epaphroditus with a gift. They took up a collection. And this was not a wealthy city. Maybe Lydia was wealthy, but. Not too many other people in the city were wealthy. So they sent, this is the third time they sent a gift to help with Paul's ministry, even though he was in prison. In those days, usually, and in some countries in the world, when you're in prison, you're in prison, and somebody outside the prison has to provide for your need. They don't feed you like they do here. It's not a big business like here in Arizona. Praise God. So, with that, we uh, got up to chapter 1, verse 19, and actually most of the translations, I have a, a parallel Bible at home, has got six different translations. They include the end of verse 18 with this verse. As you know, as Pastor Wayne mentioned last time, the word rejoice is in this letter 14 times. So the end of verse 18 says, yes, and I will rejoice. Because it goes on to say, the reason he's rejoicing, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What is this? Wonderful. That's a great question. This will turn out for my deliverance. One version says it will turn out for my salvation. This, what he's talking about, this, what has happened to me? They know what happened to him in Philippi. He was arrested for casting a demon out of a little girl and beaten and put in prison. They had an earthquake, and nobody escaped from the prison. And uh, then he gets, uh, he had gone back to Jerusalem after that and uh, eventually got put in prison. So all of these things, being imprisoned for the gospel, is what happened to him. If anybody remembers, uh, one of my favorite stories is in Genesis chapter 45. Joseph's brothers come to Egypt, and they don't recognize Joseph. And he gets them to bring their younger brother. Because think about it. They tried to kill him. These are the guys. They had murder in their heart for their own brother. And they come, and they don't recognize Joseph. And he says, you guys, uh, if you don't, do you have any other family members? And he already knows. He says, okay, uh, yeah, we have a younger brother. We have one brother that's dead already. And uh, we, uh, okay, he says, bring the youngest brother with you. Oh, no, we can't do that. Well, if you don't, then, uh, you know, uh, you can't get to see me and get no food next time. Okay. They convince Jacob to send the youngest brother. Because think about it. They wanted to murder him. And his younger brother, from the same mom, they're probably jealous of him too. Where's the younger brother? Did they kill him? Think about it. This must have been what going through Joseph's mind. But anyway, to make a long story short, they come back and they bring the younger brother. And Joseph does some uh, uh, intrigue and, uh, and he tries to get them to, uh, tries to keep the youngest brother because he's testing their hearts to see how, if they've changed or not. And the older brother says, you know, take me instead of the younger one because if we don't come back with our younger brother, it's going to kill our dad. And 
honestly, feeling out whether or not to have any repentance in his heart. Finally, it says that he breaks down weeping in front of them. And they don't know what to do. Like, what in the world is this Egyptian priest doing? And he tells them, I'm your brother Joseph. Can you imagine what goes through their minds? He's the prime minister. No one but Pharaoh is above him in this whole country. That's our brother Joseph. We tried to kill him. Now what's he going to do? Oh, my God, he's got us trapped. He says, I'm your brother Joseph. Come near to me. And he wept. He fell on the ground and kissed him. He says, you know what? You guys meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this is the same sentiment that Paul has here. Everyone, that they put me in prison. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. In chapter 1 earlier, it says that the Praetorian Guard and the household of Caesar, they knew why Paul was in prison. They knew. And in fact, I read in Fox's Book of Martyrs that so many of Caesar's bodyguards got saved, they would use them for target practice because it was a, 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 a criminal offense. It was high treason to say that anybody besides Caesar was a king. So many of them got saved, and they used so many of them for target practice, killing them, that they decided, you know what, uh, we're losing too many guards. This is not a, a good thing. Pretty dumb if you ask me. But God meant it for good. All Paul's enemies, they're trying to, there's some people were preaching the gospel out of jealousy and trying to get Paul in trouble. Paul says, I don't care as long as Jesus is getting preached. Hallelujah. And people were getting saved. The enemy tries to hinder us, tries to mess with us. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 19. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the, the uh, armor of God. It says, Take the helmet of salvation, which protects your head. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints. And then he asks them to pray for me also. Isn't that amazing? First, he's not concerned too much about himself. He's concerned about others. That's the kingdom of God in action. When you're concerned about other people, it's not a kingdom of selfishness. Can you say amen? And then he says, and pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And that mystery is simply the revelation of Christ as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The word mystery is not found in the Old Testament, as it was hidden. You read Matthew's Gospel, it says, this was done to fulfill that which was written by the prophet or spoken by the prophet so-and-so. There's uh, something called the, uh, uh, the uh, I forget exactly what they call it, the theory of some sort where Jesus is hidden from the people. They don't want necessarily, hi guys, come on in. They, 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 they're trying to get it so that the, uh, the Jewish people will seek after the Messiah and really try to get an understanding of who he is because their eyes are blinded. But notice also what it says here, that this will turn out for my deliverance or my good through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The New International Version says, I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. The Amplified Bible, it says, this will turn out for my preservation, that is, spiritual health and welfare of my own soul. In other words, he's saying here, you guys pray for me, and the Holy Ghost is going to help me. How many know it's important to pray for your pastor? It's important to pray for everybody. But pray especially for, for pastors because this will uh, help continue 
the work of the gospel. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Paul's talking about somebody there in the church that had to be forgiven, and he says, What I have forgiven, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. How many know we have an enemy? We've been going through a study um, on Wednesday nights of the case for Christ. And in one of the chapters, uh, uh, Lee Strobel interviews this uh, doctor. And uh, he grew up as a Jewish young man, went to the Vietnam War, and he said, I was thoroughly and totally convinced that there's evil in the world and that there's an author of evil in the world. This is before he actually became a Christian. Some it's out on the streets in Berkeley, uh, California, and there's some people out there uh, reaching out and preaching and telling people about Jesus. And he says he comes up to the guy, and the one guy says, tells him about Jesus, and he says, I'm Jewish. <laughs> and it's like a light bulb goes on in his head because the, the young man tells him, so is Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. What? Ha-ha! And so he said, the young man told him, go home. Here's an here's a Old Testament. Read the Jewish part of the Bible, the Old Testament. He says he did, and he saw Jesus in all of those prophecies in the Old Testament. And he got saved and became a Christian because he knew that there's evil in the world, but he didn't know what the solution was. So when Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices, we're not dumb. I think the devil's dumb. He's insane, that's for sure. But he tries to mess with us. But God, what he means for evil, God means for good. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And so Paul says, I want you to help me by praying for me, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So let's look here on what he's talking about. He's saying that uh, he wants to be able to, with all boldness, as he wants to be able to speak the word of God is what he's asking. <clears throat> in the NIV, it says, I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The New Revised Standard Version says that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always. It's been said that when he was a Roman prisoner, that um, every four hours a new guard would come in and they'd unlock the chain on the old guard and send him out and the new guard would come in. What do you think Paul would be doing sitting there? You know why I'm in chains? For the defense of the gospel. What did Paul say? Remember when he was put on trial and, and the, uh, the uh, stands up and he perceives that half of them are Pharisees, half of them are Sadducees. And if you know anything about the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that's why they were sad, you see. But he tells them, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and it's for the hope of the resurrection from the dead that I'm called into question that I'm put on trial. And he's a very smart guy because he notices the Sadducees and the Pharisees don't agree on that, and so it causes a riot. I'll get you guys. You think you're smart, huh? Well, the reason I'm put on trial is for the hope of the resurrection from the dead. How many know that this life is not all there is? Jesus rose from the dead to give us a hope and a secure and sure foundation that there is life after death. Scientists go through all kinds of experiments and there's all kinds of research done on life after death. Oh, there's all kinds of books written about near-death experiences. How I've seen the light. I come back from the dead. We actually had a gentleman come to the church here who was dead for, what was it, an hour, 45 minutes, and came back to life because his wife was praying for him, and now he has a ministry. And <laughs> I like what he says when people argue with him. Oh, you know, oh, I, I don't believe all that. And he just simply says, you'll find out. You'll see. You'll visit someday. Praise God. The hope of the resurrection from the dead. 
<clears throat> Hallelujah. In the Amplified Bible, Paul's words are translated with the utmost freedom of speech and unfailing courage. How many know that sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to mention the name of Jesus to people? Because you can talk about God to people, but when you mention Jesus, something happens in the conversation. They either put up the wall and, Jesus, I don't want to talk about Jesus. Or they get religious, or they want to talk about Jesus. How many know people talk about the people they love? People talk about the things they love. Whatever's in your heart, that's what comes out. Glory to God. Paul says, I want to not be ashamed. I don't want to be ashamed in any way. I want to be courageous when I talk to people about Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, and also it's found in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, Jesus said, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Jesus is coming back. It's guaranteed. Nobody knows when. In fact, Paul was hoping that Jesus would come back in his lifetime. Many of the early church believed that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. Nobody knows the hour or the day. But he is coming back. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes and he says to you, the saints. How many are saints? Praise God. If you have Jesus in your heart, you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a saint. Whether you act like it or not, you called, if God has touched your life, if Jesus has come into your life to be the Lord of your life, if you've been born again, you are a saint. Hallelujah. God is to make known among the Gentiles, that's us, we're not Jewish, we're Gentiles, what is the full and inexhaustible riches of the glory of this mystery? Paul says that he wants Christ to be magnified in his body. What is the glory of the mystery of God? This is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes to them and he says, I want you to understand that Christ, and he prays for them, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. I don't know about you, but I'm not always aware that Christ is dwelling in my heart. Now, I wish I was at oh, every moment of the day. There's a book that was written by uh, many, many years ago by a monk named Brother Andrew. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. This guy was able to concentrate uh, all the time on the presence of God. No matter what he was doing, the presence of God, he was always trying to make himself aware of it. When I work, I'm trying to concentrate on doing a good job to make my employer money. How many know that that's why you get hired? That was a revelation to me. I thought when I first started working, I thought the boss was just carrying the wealth. And then one day, one of my pastors told me, no, the boss hired you to make him money. That, was, that changed my whole outlook. Oh, okay. So I need to do the best I can so that I make him money. And now uh, I work for a small contractor. There's only a handful of uh, people. And uh, he gives me uh, these little projects to go do stuff at T-Mobile stores. He calls me Mr. T. He says, okay, Mr. T, this is how much uh, you cost me an hour. This is how much the job, <coughs> job is going to pay us. So I have to try and remember that as I'm working so I can do it in a timely manner. Praise God. Uh, so I'm trying to be aware because the Bible says, whatever you do, do it with all of your might. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God because I'm not working necessarily for my employer. I'm working for Jesus so that my employer uh, hopefully can see that I'm not just somebody. I'm somebody who works for God. I may be working as your employee, but my main focus is that I'm working for God and I'm trying to do the best work that I can. Hallelujah. Christ, 
be exalted. This word magnified also in the one translation is that Christ will be exalted. He is exalted on high. Hallelujah. In our body. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. In all things, Jesus must have the preeminence. Hallelujah. That's what you call a king or a member of royalty. You're eminent. Someone who is higher in social standing than you. Uh, if you like in England, and I, I think they even call the Pope their eminence. Irregardless, let's move on. For to me, live is Christ and to die is First, let's look at this one. To live is Christ. Why did Jesus come? Philippians chapter 1, he says, to live is Christ. How many know, how many believe that Christ is living in you? This is kind of like, a, for me, it's kind of hard to understand, but God is big. God is so big, he's able to pay attention to each one of us, so much so that he knows how many hairs are on our head. He even knows our thoughts. Isn't that amazing? It's kind of scary because sometimes we think things we're not supposed to think. And God knows our thoughts. God hears our thoughts. It's not like God has ESP and, you know, he's, he can, uh, I still think it's kind of funny about uh, Philip uh, being told by the Holy Spirit to go into the desert and uh, go catch up to the, uh, the chariot there. And here's the Ethiopian reading. And I always thought, and I've mentioned this before, I always thought, Wow, Philip must have got the gift of the of mind reading from the Holy Ghost because he hear the guy reading. Because most people, when we read, we read, you know, we just look at it. And, but in those days, before the invention of the printing press, anybody that ever read anything read it out loud. By doing that when you're reading your Bible, reading the Psalms, read them out loud and see what happens. I always thought, but God knows our thoughts. But Paul is saying here, and in the next verse he says, I got, I'm trying to choose which is better. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I came to earth that they, or you, may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth have his life made manifest and to, to give us his life, to give us that exuberance that he has. Hallelujah. Not just a good life, not just a better life, but the best life. Can you say amen? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But, verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult. I never noticed that he says it's difficult. I mean, life is hard sometimes. Can you say amen? Sometimes we come against difficulty. Well, guess what? Jesus said, that's part of it. He says, Narrow is the gate, and difficult or confined is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Here we are in the town of Marana. I don't know what the population is, but I know in Pima County there's over a million people in Pima County. There's not a million people in our church. <laughs> few there be that find it. Thank God that not only do we find it, not only does uh, God reach out, the Bible says that unless the Father draws you near, you will not come. That's the miracle of salvation is that God actually reaches out to us. Hallelujah. I was searching for God. But at the same time, God was searching for me. And God orchestrated the circumstances of my life to bring me out to Arizona from New York because I was about to get in a lot of trouble back in New York City. And he brought me out here. Then I went overseas and backslid. Then I came back thinking God was done with me. God began to seek me out and search for me and draw me. And 
I went here and there looking and and didn't find any satisfaction until I found a little church. kind of looks like this in a storefront. And I thought it was like a mile away because I used to walk everywhere. Three and a half miles. And I got there, first service, rededicated my life to Jesus. The pastor followed up on me and helped me. And God began to work in my life. Hallelujah. God was seeking and searching. Jesus said, I didn't come to call those that are well. Those that are well, they don't need a doctor. Those that are sick. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's go to the next verse. To live is Christ. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I choose, I shall choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Having the desire to depart, be with Christ, which is far better. Can you say amen? Oh, glory to God. I am so much ready to be departed from this world and go be with Jesus. However, nevertheless, or however, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And this is not the flesh, the sinful flesh. He's just talking about his body here. Let's look at this. I am to live on in the flesh. This will mean fruitful labor for me. The Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, it translated, if I live on, this is worth my while. How many know it's worth it to stay here? Because we're going to have a reward in heaven. However, it's kind of based on what we do here. Can you say amen? And he says, I don't know which one to choose. I'm hard pressed or perplexed. You're in a strait. In the King James, I'm in a strait, like a straitjacket. Ah, which way do I go? I want to go this way. I want to go that way. And I, ah, what do we do? Hard choice in the Message Bible. He's hard pressed from both directions. It's more needful or necessary. There's a reason why we're still here. People are depending on you and I. Can you say amen? People are depend are counting on us. There's people that you and I are going to meet in our lifetime, and we're going to be able to share Jesus with them, and they're going to get saved, and it's going to be awesome. That's why we're still here, to tell other people about Jesus. Hallelujah. In uh, a letter to the Hebrews, it says, It's appointed unto mankind once to die, after this, the judgment. So, even though to be with Christ is better, we're not supposed to send ourselves ahead. We're supposed to wait for our appointment and say amen. However, if you um, look at the media and the news and all that's going on, especially in this country with people who call themselves progressives, They'll be happy when we're gone. There'll be no more restraint. Nobody telling anybody, that's sinful. You shouldn't be doing that. That's harmful for you. Sin is still sin no matter what. Truth is truth no matter what. The truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The truth is, Jesus died for sinners in order to set sinners free from sin. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it translates in the New International Version, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There is a reward coming. Jesus uh, appeared to Paul the Apostle several times. He saw the resurrected Jesus. So he knew Jesus personally. That's salvation, when you know Jesus personally. However, we don't know him completely yet. Now, Paul says, we see through a glass dimly or darkly. We don't see the whole picture. But there's coming a day when we're going to see Jesus. Hallelujah. I can hardly wait. But I have to. We have to wait. We, that's, that's life, you know. You wait. Sometimes you push through. Most of the time, you have to wait. So to die is gain. The world will be happy when we're gone. 
No more telling anybody that Jesus is the only way. Oh, there's all kinds of religions in the world. Yeah, there's religions, but there's only one Jesus. There's only one Lord. There's only one King of kings. There's only one God come in the flesh. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. So Paul says he's not a choice between good and evil, but he's a choice he's got to make between good and good, better and better, or best. Hallelujah. Nevertheless, there's people counting on us. Glory to God. I would love to go and be with Jesus. But I have to wait, and so do you and I. All have to wait. And then it goes on to say he's confident of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. He's not from Texas. For your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Let's look at this verse for a little bit here. <clears throat> he's convinced, being confident, or he's convinced. No one can change his mind. What is he convinced of? He's convinced of this. What's this? It's better to stay here on earth, to live and work for God and do what God has called us to do than to go and be departed with Jesus. Doesn't sound like it makes sense. It'd be better to go with Jesus, be with Jesus. But he's convinced that that's what he's supposed to do. Stay here on earth and live and work for Jesus and tell people about Jesus. Because it will help others make progress, have joy of faith. How many know living for God is not supposed to be dreary and dull? Must be the most exciting thing in the world. Living for God. I remember one time I was telling a co-worker about living for God, and he says, Well, that sounds boring. I said, Boring? Are you kidding? Is we've seen miracles. We've seen real, genuine miracles. We've seen families put back together. We've seen people forgive each other. That's a miracle. Can you say amen? People don't like to forgive each other. People like to hold a grudge. But to see people forgive and get back together and say, you know what, let's work this out. Praise God. That's exciting. Hallelujah. To see young people live for God and not fall by the wayside. I remember telling a young lady, I said, you know what, we went down to the, the Bisbee mine and there's a big old pit and there's a fence around and there's a car down in the bottom of the pit. And I said, your life is like a car just ready to crash through that fence and fall down to the bottom of the pit. And if you don't wake up and snap out of it, that's what's going to happen to you. Dear God, we don't need an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff for people. We need, we, we need them to live for God now. Because there is a reward of righteousness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Psalm 34, verse 2 says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Glory to God. I was talking to my brother James, who <clears throat> had a family reunion out on Long Island yesterday. It's also my brother Thomas's birthday. <clears throat> so James was relating to me a story. He used to work at a Coca-Cola bottling plant in New York, and uh, they had a, a, a crew, and there's a couple of uh, fellas there that uh, were, they went to church, and they'd always be debating and philosophizing. And, and uh, so he says, um, he tells the one guy, yeah, my brother lives out in Arizona. Oh, yeah? I hear there's a lot of, uh, there's uh, low humility out there. <laughs> Humility, the humble shall hear of it. I hope that there's a lot of humility out here in Arizona. The humble shall hear of it and be glad because we boast. You know what? God has opened the door for me. God has blessed me. God has prospered me. In the, in the, it's in the um, book of Proverbs. Promotion comes neither from the east nor the west, but God lifts us up. Hallelujah. Psalm 44, verse 8. It says, in God, we boast all day long and praise your name. And then it's got that funny word, Selah, which means, a second, think about it. I'm in God, we boast all day long 
praise his name forever. There's going to be a party in heaven when we get there. Right now it says, Jesus said, when one sinner repents, there's more joy in heaven than over a hundred righteous people. One sinner that repents. There's a party in heaven. There's going to be rejoicing forever and ever and ever. We're going to be in the presence of God, never to be departed from there again. We're going to feel the fullness of the love of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. He wants us to rejoice. New Revised Standard Version, it says, Paul says, I want to share abundantly in your boasting in Jesus Christ when I come to you again. He thought that there was a possibility he'd get out of prison and go visit this special church. Excuse me. Wanted his rejoicing to abound. Amplified, it says, so that in me, as a result of their prayers and him staying here on earth, in me, you may have abundant cause for exaltation and glorying in Christ Jesus. The King James Version says that so that your rejoicing may be more abundant. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Who's got that memorized? We know. We're confident, fully convinced. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. A lot of people misquote this and say, oh, we know everything works together for good. Not necessarily. It works for the good of those that love God, to those who are called according, excuse me, to his purpose. And whatever happens, verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast. So he's saying, whatever happens, so whether I come to you and see you or not, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves means walk the walk, walk the talk, behave as citizens of the kingdom of the living God in the James and Fawcett and Brown's commentary. How many know that we've been called into a kingdom, government? In Isaiah chapter 9, I believe it's verse 6, it says, His name unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Government shall be upon his shoulders. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. No matter what it looks like in the world, no matter what the enemy is trying to do in the world, the kingdom of heaven is continuing to advance and grow. I've heard reports in China that 75,000 Chinese people a day get saved. Every day. Millions. Multitudes in the valley of decision. In India, there's tremendous opposition to the gospel, but people are getting saved. In the Middle East, there's reports that Jesus is actually appearing to Muslims, and they're getting saved. Hallelujah. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Glory to God. So in the meantime, live for God. Hallelujah. Conduct yourself. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, so, he wants to say, he wants to hear, if he doesn't get there, he wants somebody to bring back a report that you stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together faith the gospel. How many know we're supposed to work together? Advance the kingdom of heaven. Glory to God. Being of one mind, the uh, commentators say that that means it's talking about your soul or the, the sphere of your affection. What it is that you focus your energies, your spare time on. Kingdom of heaven. 
but to make a suggestion. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and close the door. I've done that. <laughs> now we have a bigger room. We just don't have the closet. Now we have a whole room. And when I go in to pray, I, I hear God tell me, close the door. Close the door. If I want to obey God, and I pray, trying to have that mindset. God always with me. Jesus never leave nor forsake I am with end of the what a promise and he goes on to say thank you next one back verse 28 the faith of the gospel and don't be terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition or destruction but few of salvation Anybody ever have uh, someone get upset with about a church? Well, one guy was drunk. <laughs> he pulled a knife on me and my soul. You don't want to hear about Jesus? That's fine. <laughs> we were not alarmed, though. <clears throat> Chapter 4 of Philippians, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, always pray with thanksgiving. And he says, the result will be that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. When things don't look like they're going well, when things look like, oh my goodness, what's going on? We can have about it. Let me say amen. We have assured because Jesus has overcome the world, you can have peace. So if, if, if I didn't have Jesus, if Jesus didn't get a hold of me, I would be nuts. I probably would be locked up. If I didn't put my trust in Jesus, my life would be a mess. I would say, oh, this is too much. I would have given up a long time ago. Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us strength. Jesus gives us assurance. Things will work out. Amen. Hallelujah. And in verse, this is from God. The peace that passes all understanding is from God. Thank God it's from God because if we tried to manufacture it, I don't think it would work. And then in verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but in him. How many know this word grant? It's like uh, getting a gift. You can apply for grants from the government for all kinds of things. A lot of the uh, stuff that goes on at the University of Arizona, they have to apply for government grants to research and stuff. And there's a way to write the grant that you get the money to do what it is you want to do. And you don't have to pay it back. But Jesus paid in full and gave us the grant to believe on him. By faith, you're saved and granted as a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Saved by grace, not of works, gift of God. Not that any, so that no one would boast. And it doesn't mean in the psalm there where it says boasting about God, that's a good thing. When it talks in Ephesians about boasting, it's not. It's talking about you being trying to stand before God and say, God, <clears throat> look at all the good stuff I've done. I was a good guy. Most We're not saved because we're good. We're saved because Jesus paid the price. But then it goes on to say, it's also granted to us to suffer for his sake. Wait, what? Suffer? What? Wait, wait, wait. I didn't sign up for that. Suffering? I, I don't want none of that. But Paul is in prison. Lots of people around the world are in prison for Jesus. You and I probably won't ever have that happen to us, but there's people in this country that have been persecuted for Jesus, taken to court, sued, Made to pay a lot of money. 
because of their stand for Jesus. So they're suffering. But most of the time, and I can speak from personal experience, most of the time it's mental anguish. Most of the time it's trying to figure out how am I going to make it through this problem? What am I going to do? How am I going to get where I believe God wants me to be? Mental anguish is probably included in suffering. But it's been granted to us as a gift. Then he goes on. So, I, if you want, I would say, pray about this one. God, what is this? How does it work out? Help. Because Paul knew about suffering. Think about this. And he says, you saw the same things happen to me when I was in Philippi. And you heard about it when I went back to Jerusalem and tried to kill me. Think about this. Paul and Silas are on the second missionary journey. They're trying to go here. They're trying to go there. The Holy Spirit says, nope, don't go there. Nope, go there. Finally, Paul has a vision of a guy from Macedonia, which is eastern Greece, somewhere around there. Come over and help us. How do you know who Derek Prince was? He's a British guy. He married a woman named Lydia. Miss Lydia had a vision one day in her living room when she was a young lady of somebody in a certain type of clothing, and she had no idea what it was. But she found out. She went to Jerusalem, Israel. That's where these people who were dressed that way were. She wound up adopting, what was it, 12 girls? She went to a Jewish community, didn't know anybody, and somebody brought her an abandoned baby girl. She took care of it, adopted it, wound up eventually adopting 12 girls. And then Derek Prince met her. And she was older than him. But she had a vision. And she followed it. Same with Paul and Silas. They had a vision. These people, they're Macedonians. Let's go over there and see what happens. They go over there and... Uh, Paul and Silas, they meet uh, Lydia, the seller of purple. They establish a church there. And some slave girl follows them around for like three weeks saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they're showing the way of salvation. True. No problem. No big deal. And oops, I thought I turned this off. <laughs> and, and three weeks or so there, she's following them around. And Paul's saying, hey, this is great advertising at first. But think about this. The whole city knew about it. Finally, Paul gets fed up and casts the demon out. That causes a riot. Have him arrested and they have him beat, which is against the law. And they throw him in the prison, put him in the stocks in the innermost prison. As reading about this, the stocks it, were very uncomfortable. So they even take care of their wounds. And think about this. The jailer, he's given, here's the charge. These guys are under arrest for <coughs> casting a demon out of a little girl. See, well, they're very dangerous criminals. Better put them in the inner prison. Okay. All right. Puts them in there. About midnight, the Bible says, Paul and Silas are whining. They beat us without even a trial. We were Roman citizens. That's not what the Bible says. It says they were singing. Hey, Silas, check out the acoustics in here. Let's sing. You can hear it outside. Many years ago, I was a follower of the Grateful Dead music group. They went over to Egypt, and they did a concert there at the pyramids, and they used the tombs for some of the sound system. And I don't know exactly what they did, but acoustics, they said, oh, man, it was awesome. There's Paul and Silas in the prison. Whoa, the acoustics in here are great. Let's sing. And they're singing praises to God. And it says the prisoners were hearing this. No doubt word got around. This guy got arrested for talking about resurrection from the dead. Really? Resur that's a crime? 
about midnight. There's an earthquake. All right, let's get out of here. Think about this. I was reading the commentary. Somehow Paul knew he must have heard the jailer draw his sword. Because the jailer, if anyone escaped, the jailer would be executed. He's about to commit suicide. And Paul, with a heart of compassion, cries out, Don't hurt yourself. Do yourself no harm. We're all here. Nobody left. The chains came off with the earthquake. That's how they knew it was supernatural. Chains just don't fall off. And Paul, with a heart of compassion, says, Don't hurt yourself. And the first thing is recorded, the guy comes in and says, How do I get saved? How did he know he needed to get saved? Because he probably heard Paul and Silas singing and praising God and talking about all their adventures. How many know that living for God is supposed to be an adventure? Hallelujah. Talk to any older saint and they'll tell you some adventures. Amen. Hallelujah. And so Paul's saying, you guys know what happened. While I was there in Philippi. So, you guys join in with me. Because that's how living for God You may encounter some problems. You may encounter some hardship. But you have been granted salvation. You, excuse me, have been granted the hope and promise of eternal life. That when this life is over, no matter what, you're going to be in eternity with God forever and ever and ever rejoicing uh, with no end in sight. We're trapped in time and space. God's not. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is the awesome stuff. That God came down to earth, became a human being like us, never sinned, took the weight of all the sins of the whole world upon himself, paid the price, you and I could have freedom and liberty, love God and love one another, tell other people about Jesus, try and share the gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's good news that you can be forgiven no matter what you've done. Think about this. Your, our pride, our, our shame, or our whatever you want to call it, our life before God is known. God knows everything about us. God's willing to forgive us. God's willing to, and it's his good pleasure to say, okay, I'm holding you. You're not. I've got a deal for you. Let's make this right. God wants us to live a holy life. And he can give us the power to do that. When you're born again, you have Jesus in your heart. That's where it's Coming to church, where you hopefully get help to continue to grow and make progress. Amen.